because it deals with the issue of Paul sending back Onesimus, who was a slave, to Philemon. And it's a challenging text and a concerning text to preach from because in the history of the Christian church and actually in the history of the law system of our country, they have used this text to justify slavery. They have used this text to justify um, slavery in our own country and in the Western world. But as we look more closely at the text, we realize that those that have gone before us in the church that use the scriptures in such a way were abusing it and not proclaiming the true message of what Paul is speaking to us about here today. Philemon, these 25 verses, I believe it's 335 words, obviously one of the smallest books in the Bible, is also on what they call the church calendar. In the church calendar are scriptures that um, many churches and many traditions, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, um, even in evangelical churches more and more, we read these texts each and every week, and there's a three-year cycle. And the plan and the hope is that you will go through uh, the full teaching of scripture in that three-year cycle. We recognize the seasons within the church year, Pentecost and Advent and Easter and Christmas, of course, and then we move into what's called ordinary time, and what does it look like to be a Christian in the ordinary time? And this text, this Philemon passage of scripture, is on the church calendar. It comes in September, and that's why I had originally planned, planned to preach from it. And I really was, again, struggling with it, but if the church calendar and the history of our church and denominations and Christian traditions from all over the world are preaching from this passage of scripture, which is one of the beauties of the church calendar, that churches all over the world are studying the same text together during the week, then it must have some importance for us, and we must not dismiss it or shy away from it just because it is challenging or, or because we have to look a little deeper to what exactly is happening in the cultural context of the day. And the first thing we need to realize is that slavery in the first century is different than the atrocities of our nation and the history of slavery in our country. African-American New Testament scholar Cain Hope Felder out of Princeton an author of the book Troubling Biblical Waters, Race, Class, and Family, writes, Paul's primary focus is not on the institution of slavery, but on the power of the gospel to transform human relationships and bring about reconciliation. He goes on to write that the Roman Empire did not have a race-based policy for the institution of slavery. The Roman Empire did not have a race-based policy for the institution of slavery neither in the first century or any other century to follow. But what Onesimus very well may have, why he was a slave to Philemon, is that he probably owed him a financial debt. He may have very well borrowed money from Philemon, could not pay the debt, so now he is indebted to him as a slave, and he must honor that. He must pay back by being his servant. So it is possible that that is the situation that Onesimus is in. And the other thing that we, the way the church has abused this text is that we automatically assume that Onesimus has done something wrong, where Paul doesn't say that at all. In fact, Paul says, if he owes you anything, or if he has done anything wrong, charge it to me. But nowhere in the text do we see Onesimus have stealing or running away. In fact, at the age of 30 in Roman law, you are required to release the slaves. If someone owed you a debt, there were these periods, some would call it the year of Jubilee, or there were different time frames where all debt must be forgiven. All debt must be forgiven. And, and maybe there was a dispute between the two of when was that debt actually forgiven? 
we should not think that Onesimus has done everything wrong. Wouldn't it be great if those policies and those laws were still in existence today? I've mentioned it before that wouldn't it be great if all these student loan companies after seven years had said, you know what, it's been seven years, we'll forgive the rest of the debt. A couple of amens and a hand raise. So let us not make the same error. Let us not make the sins of the past that those who have gone before us have made and, and taking scripture and corrupting it and co-opting it and using it for their own selfish gain because that is not what is happening here. We don't know all the details why Onesimus left, but we do know that Paul is talking about the importance of reconciliation. The importance of reconciliation. And we see how Paul so deeply loves and cares for Onesimus. Listen to the words that he says about him. My son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I am sending him who is my very own heart. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will repay it. Charge it to me. I will repay it. Though it is not the same slavery system that we know in our own country's history, it is still a system at work that Paul wants to start chopping away at to destroy. He, start, he wants to start chopping away at the root of the unjust system by saying, this man is my son. I love him. He is my very own heart. That is a radical statement for anyone to make about a slave. A radical statement, a statement of faith. But over and over again, he talks about how he is my very own heart. He is part of my family. He is my son. And through this love and through this recognition of family, it's how Paul begins to chop away at the root of the injustices in the world. But we also recognize that Paul also loved Philemon. He loved them both in the verses previous to what Anna read this morning. Listen to what he says about him. Dear friend and fellow worker, I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, he also refers to him as brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I consider you a partner. I consider Onismus a partner. Welcome him as you would welcome me. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So we see that Paul has this deep love for two men who need to be reconciled. We don't know the details. We don't know if anyone has done anything wrong. But we know that over and over again, Paul keeps using these terms of family. Brother, family, son. Now remember, he's in the midst of chopping at the root of the unjust system and any unjust perspectives and mindsets the culture may have. And now he's saying, you and Onesimus, because now he is a son of God, you and Onesimus are now family. There is no longer master or slave. You are now children of God. It's all about the family. Look out and care for the family. I am sending him back to you. Look out and care for him. He is my very own heart. It's all about the family. F.F. Bruce, F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, writes... What this letter of Philemon does is to bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die away. Love and family. If that is the people that we are, that we as Christians are to be, love and recognizing that anyone created in the image of God and everyone is created in the image of God, 
They are family. If we live in such a way, recognizing that, and living in an attitude and spirit and life of love, then as F.F. Bruce says, slavery, and let us just include other unjust situations and institutions, they will wilt and die. Love and family. It's interesting throughout the text, throughout these 25 verses, it almost seems like Paul's being a little manipulative to Philemon. He's reminding him of all the things that Paul has meant to him and all that Paul has done for him. And, and, and listen as he says, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I could order you, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, an old man and also a prisoner, he's obviously playing the this, playing this sympathy card there, I'm old, I'm in prison, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Kind of sounds like manipulation. I want you to do it spontaneously. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. I'm confident of your obedience, though I'm not going to force you. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Back in the day, in New York, my friends and I used to have a statement as we were graduating high school and moving on to college. Let us not forget where we came from. Don't forget where you came from, Corey. And Paul is saying the same thing to Philemon. Don't forget where you came from. For you were once in bondage as well. You were once in bondage to your sin. And what Christ has done in your life, through my ministry, you have been set free. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the grace that has been bestowed in your heart and in your life and how Christ has changed your life and the church you're a part of. Don't forget that. Because that is now what is happening in Onesimus' life. Extend the same grace. Extend the same forgiveness. Extend the same mercy. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has also committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has committed to you... The ministry, the message of reconciliation. Last week I talked about the ENC dress code, how we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed with Christ, and now we are to live glorifying Him. And as you go through your spiritual journey, you'll continue to learn and understand what that means. But let us not miss what this text has to say for us today. We that are clothed with Christ must be about the ministry and message of reconciliation. God commands it. God requires it. John Perkins says, Reconciliation to me is the absolute mission of the church. Reconciliation is the process by which people are united to God and are united to each other. Reconciliation. Peter Chad, an evangelical seminary in Chicago, says, Reconciliation is not a project. Reconciliation is not a program. It is not a methodology. Reconciliation is a journey. Paul understands this journey of reconciliation. 
Paul understands that reconciliation must take place between Onesimus and Philemon. And that, would, that is the journey he is calling them to. Please, I beg of you, I plead with you, I'll pay whatever debt he owes. Please, I beg you, be reconciled. Because if you are not reconciled with one another, the church suffers. If you are not reconciled, the ministry, the message of the gospel, all of that suffers. If you are not reconciled to one another, so please begin this journey of reconciliation. Do you have a journey of reconciliation that God is calling you to? For if there is this journey of reconciliation that God is calling you to, whether the person asks for forgiveness or not, is it possible that God is still calling you to begin that journey? even if the other individual or family member or friends are not willing to begin that journey with you. If reconciliation does not take place, the church suffers. For this letter is not just to Philemon, it is also to the church that he is a part of. If reconciliation does not take place in our lives, our families will suffer. If family reconciliation does not take place in some of our families' relationships and, and, and cousins and children and brothers and sisters, all those relationships begin to weaken and begin to suffer because we were not willing to take the journey of reconciliation. What would it look like if we had the love that says he or she is my very own heart, like Paul says about Onesimus. The social structures where there is brokenness and reconciliation needed, these would begin to wilt and die. I want to show you a video clip of a, a lady named Maggie Barantizzi. I'll just let the video share the story, and then I'll get up and close briefly. At a mass grave in eastern Burundi, Maggie Barantizzi remembers the unthinkable. It happened in 1993 at the Catholic bishop's residence where she worked. It's really hot. As ethnic violence exploded across the country, men with machetes invaded and unleashed a nightmare, separating ethnic Hutu people from ethnic Tutsis. They took off my clothes and then they tied me and they said, your punishment, that's you, keep silence. We will kill them in front of you. They began to kill priests, nuns, all the, the Hutu they know. When the bloodbath was over, 72 people were dead. And I stay alone and walk those bodies. I don't want to go. Over the following days, she risked her life to bury the victims. You can't imagine, I don't, 15 years after, I still wondering why, why? What do you do after something so horrific? For Maggie, the answer was extraordinary. I am Christian, and I know that our human vocation is to love. I will try to to make new generation Hutu and Tutsi together. As a war unfolded that would last 12 years and take 300,000 lives, she gathered orphans, dozens at first, then hundreds, then thousands as her own. 
I took those children with confidence because I believe that God is God. He will help me. Maggie established Maison Shalom, the house of peace, to restore these children. Her belief was that they needed education and love. And despite all they'd lost, a real home. So her children live not in orphanages, but in houses, caring for each other in small groups, living as a family. They have tutor because it's their home. They have, when they leave school, they said, we go home. Throughout the war, they lived as a testament to peace. Maggie's children work together in businesses they own and run, including a salon, a tailor and seamstress shop, a mechanic school called the Garage of Angels, where former child soldiers, street children, and war orphans learn a skill and earn a living. Even their teacher is a child of Maison Shalom. I can't imagine what I would have become because of the war, but everything I am now is thanks to Maison Shalom. Over the years, Maggie added a library, language classes, computer lessons, and to prove to the children they deserved more than just survival, she built them a cinema and opened a swimming pool. Shalom was born to say no to the war, to say yes to the love, yes to the life. With Maggie, Maison Shalom is open to everyone so that healing, even in unspeakable circumstances, can truly take place. Aline's family was killed in the war. When she was only five, rebel soldiers attacked her with machetes and rocks and left her for dead. Maggie raised Aline, helped her start a business, and nurtured her spirit with the lessons of Maison Shalom. I can forgive because I was raised with so much love. God forgives my sins, so how can I not forgive those who hurt me? Reconciliation and forgiveness run deep at Maison Shalom, a place where Albert, a Hutu, and Mediatrice, a Tutsi, can grow up as brother and sister. God created us to be equal and not to be separated by ethnicity. So at Maison Shalom, we all live as children of God. One of Maggie's biggest dreams is just now coming true, a new hospital open to all regardless of their ability to pay. There will be fewer orphans, she says, and a brighter future if mothers are cared for right now. New operating rooms are under construction. A nursing school is almost finished. Ambulance service is available for the first time ever. Maggie encourages all, including mothers living with HIV, to stand up, work hard, and support one another. I believe in this dignity that God gave us. We want peace. We want love. We believe in that. Maggie says love has made her an inventor. So she's never married, never confined herself to traditional limits. Women must stay home, behind, not in front. And Maggie going in front. <laughs> I pray for Maggie, 
And I thank God for her. Que Dieu bénisse Maggie. I wish we had mamas like Maggie all over Burundi. <laughs> Most people in Burundi live on less than a single dollar a day. But Maggie insists it is not a poor country, but rich with promise. Her life is God's, she says. Her work has touched more than 30,000 children. They rebuilt my heart. They give me hope. She is the living proof of what one person of faith can do to bring peace and hope to the world. I know that evil will never take the last one. Never, never. A new generation is coming. I am not a dreamer. No, no, it's real. We, we are one family. One human family. Did you notice that Maggie Barankisi was proclaiming the same message as Paul is proclaiming in the letter to Philemon? A message of reconciliation. Tutsi rebel soldiers rape her, then attack and kill all the Hutu people in the bishop's residence. Priests, nuns, 72 people were killed. How does she respond? She raises Hutu and Tutsi children together. She raises them as her own because, as she said, I am Christian, and I know that our human vocation is to love. I will try to make new generations, Hutu and Tutsi, together. We are one family, one human family. At no point referencing the book of Philema, but I believe the messages are the same. Family takes precedence over everything else. And if reconciliation does not take place, the gospel and mission of the church suffers. Maison, Maison Salon would never exist if Maggie decided to retaliate. She's a strong woman. I'd be scared if she uh, were to retaliate. Look how strong and incredible woman that she is. But she did not retaliate. Instead, she began a journey. A journey of reconciliation. So again, here is the question. Is there, a recon is there a journey of reconciliation that God is calling you to take? Maybe it's between your parents, sibling, family member, roommate, old friends, old boyfriends or girlfriends. Maybe you were really harmed in the past. Know that you do not journey alone, that we are here for you, that your professors are here for you, and they're a little further along in their journey, so they can help you with that and make sure we journey with you and get you help where help is needed. But I do just want to leave you with that question. Is there a journey of reconciliation that God is calling you to take? No matter how difficult the road may be, remember the words of Maggie Barankisi. I believe that God is God, and he will help me. Believe in the fact that God is God, and he will help you on your journey. Will you please stand? And before we move on to class and move on to other responsibilities of the day, let us just begin with silent prayer. The Lord is here. And will you be so bold to ask him, Lord, is there a journey of reconciliation that you are calling me to take? And let us hear from the Lord.
Heavenly Father, what do we have that has not been given to us? May we be faithful in all that you have given us. And as we clothe ourselves with Christ, may we be agents and messengers of reconciliation. So if there's anything in our lives, if there's any relationship that is broken, if there's any relationship that is fractured or strained, will you make that clear to us and give us the strength and energy, knowing that you are God and knowing that you will help us. May we do nothing that would get in the way of your message of reconciliation, grace, and peace that you want to bestow in our hearts and lives. May we be people of love. May we recognize that we are family. And on this campus and community, Lord, we ask that we look out for one another and care for one another in that way, not only in this community, but to the world around us. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace.